Welcome to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories and Support. My name is Amory Zanzel and I came out eight later in life. I am a lesbian, an ordained minister, a mom, a partner to a wonderful woman, and I coach people through the coming out process later in life. I believe through sharing story, we can connect, educate, and feel we are not alone. Through listening to another's story, we can often hear our own. Carla Hildebrand is a Seattle voice teacher. She is 42 years old, mom of two, and she came out five years ago after marriage to a man. Hi, Carla, welcome. Hello, Anne-Marie. I love all your important titles you have in there. I know. You do. I should put some more in. <laughs> you should just make a big name tag that you wear all the time. <laughs> so Carla, tell me your story. Um, I was thinking about this. I was, I was thinking to myself, what is my story? Um, I wa was M, an only child, uh, to that classic stay-at-home mom, full-time, clean the house perfectly, um, dad goes off to work at the bank uh, type of family. And uh, I knew... You know, it's funny because we can always say, you know, people will say like, what's your catalyst and how did you know? And I'm like, gosh, I knew in fourth grade, her name was Melissa and we used to kiss on the playground in the trees. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I knew from a very early age that I am a lesbian and um, I was pretty socially unaware. It was never really, I was never particularly good at navigating through social things, mm. especially as a kid. Um, and so when I hit middle school and everyone had the crushes and all of that on boys, I just wasn't a part of it anyway. I was playing mm -hmm. video games. I was reading Agatha Christie, um, I had things to do. It just didn't occur to me. Um, and then uh, in high school, um, I met the this woman who um, was my first big crush and I remember I was on a walk with my mom and, you know, we always had adjacent friends, you know, a friend of a friend who was gay, who I knew, and there was always men, um, never, never, any, never any lesbians no. and absolutely no transgendered people that we knew about. That was just never a part of my growing up. Um, and uh, on the walk, I remember telling my mom, hey, you know, I think I'm gay. And I, she did not miss a step, like quite literally did not miss a step and said, no, you're not. And just, <laughs> just kept walking. And I, and I remember it was such a pivotal thing. And then she started talking about a car that passed by. It was, no, you're not, look over there. She was desperate to change the subject, right? It was amazing. <laughs> and we've laughed about it since because I'm like, that was not the way to handle that one. Um, and it was, you know, it's a phase, Carla, is what I was told. A lot of people that. hear that, right? Especially when they're teenagers. Oh, it's a phase. Oh, yeah, it's a phase. And then she did the I don't want that for you. I would never want you to have to live that life. Um, you know, but then it was also said very much that for women, being a lesbian is a choice. Men don't have a choice. Women do. And I look back at how punishing that is to a young girl's mind. Right. Um, and like the, I was thinking today, actually, before this, I was like, what, what does that come from? And, and kind of examining 
all the other layers of what that means. So your uh, mother said to you that men don't have a choice, but girls do. Yes. That is for very men, it's, Yeah, for men, it's a physical thing. For women, we can choose. Wow. Um, Maybe your mother chose somewhere along the line. <laughs> <laughs> I think she might have actually. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about. Um, but anyway, so I, I I dated girls in high school. My one my one big love affair with a man. Um, his name is Nathan, and he's now one of the biggest drag queens and AIDS advocates in Portland. So clearly, that worked out well for the two of us. Yeah. Well, no, but it makes a lot of sense because you saw your people in him, right? Totally. Yeah. And we were just best friends. We listened to jazz together. We went to mm -hmm. classical concerts. We saw Angels in America together. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we did. Um, but it's so funny because I'm like, yeah, that should have told me something. That and the pleated pants to school every day mm -hmm. probably yeah. should have clued me in. <laughs> and the crush on the girl. Yeah. In the relationship with the high school, when you were in high school with the girl. That, that too. But I know your story and you then went to college and un, 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 unlike some girls who are lugs, lesbian until graduation, what happened to you at college? So I, and again, I look back and this is kind of hilarious. I wanted a school where I could live in the dorms and not have, uh, and have single gendered dorms. Mm -hmm. I did not want to have men around me. Like it just, it was not something that I wanted. Um, That's another clue. Hmm. Hmm. A lot of clues. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's hysterical. That literally yeah. is hysterical, Carla. Oh yeah. And so I ended up at a conservative Christian university, um, Seattle Pacific, which is part of the um, Christian college consortium um, as is very Biola. As, yeah, a very evangelical, right? Very evangelical. Um, I went there when I, in 1996 was my freshman year. question. Were you religious beforehand? Had you ever? No, that's amazing. So you sort of just fell into this place. A college counselor said, hey, they have a good music program and you want to live in a female only dorm. Here you go. And they told me it was religious affiliated, similar to um, other schools. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, I can handle religious affiliated. Um, and again, I'm not terribly great at picking up clues mm -hmm. socially. So even at the visit days, I didn't really get it. Um, and but I think that's really normal for somebody who hasn't been exposed to it at all. You just don't know what you're seeing when you when you went. You you know, somebody who's been who's been in evangelical circles or Christian circles might pick up on things, but if you've never seen this before, of course you're not gonna pick up any clues. No, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and when I went and they said that uh, there were floor hours and men weren't allowed on the dorm room floors between 10 p.m. and 10 a.m., I was like, done, that's all I need in my life. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, a, it was quite a shock though, because when I showed up and it, I was told that you know, as of, I think it was 1992. So four years before I've got, I had uh, started, it was just in 1992 that women were allowed to wear pants. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. You know, 10 years prior to my being there, you couldn't wear makeup mm -hmm. um, or nail polish. So when I went, it was, they had, it was considered to be a little bit liberal leaning at that point within the consortium because, you know, we, 
we could be out together. There's some of the schools you can't even walk on the same sidewalks together, uh, male and female, um, which apparently I would have been fine with, but um, the rest of it, not so much. And it was weird because I never had encountered someone who was religiously homophobic until I got to college. Mm-hmm. And even though my mom had told me it was a phase, I still was pretty openly out as bisexual in mm-hmm. high school. And then when I got to college, all of a sudden, the first week I was there, I remember there was a, a gay man, Jake, who was immediately my best friend. And he was very effeminate. And he had people coming up and tr- asking if they could lay hands on him and pray for him. Oh my and God. it was awful. And so I just stopped. I just went in the closet like that. And it was the first time I really intentionally closeted myself. Um, and then when I was there, uh, I promise I won't be this detailed about every year of my life, but um, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. But uh, after about a year there, I met a woman who um, was trying to identify, trying to hmm, trying to figure out her sexual orientation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very masculine of center. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a tumultuous relationship for a couple months. And then she, um, she was the head of our music ministry on campus. And I hadn't heard from her in a day or two, which was weird. And I got a call Well, I, I went to the bathroom and I came back and there was a message light on her phone and it was blinking out of control. And my phone was ringing and ringing and, uh, I answered the phone and it was a friend of mine. And she said, did you hear what, I won't say his yeah. name, uh, did you hear what happened? And, uh, I'll call this woman, Sarah, so I can give her a name. It's not her real name. Sarah, um, during the all campus worship night, um, stopped the entire thing and said that she had impure thoughts and actions, um, regarding another woman and could someone please pray for her and could everyone stop and pray for her and lay hands on her. Wow. And it devastated me because I loved Sarah so much. I just thought she was amazing and I never heard from her again. Wow. And I tried to connect with her on Facebook. Did she leave the school? No, she wouldn't speak to me. Mm -hmm. And I tried to reconnect with her via Facebook and she refused my friendship requests um, Mm -hmm. years later, you know. Um, She's still closeted. She is now a conservative Republican state representative. Oh my. In the Northwest, still single, never married. Mm-hmm. And she has pictures of herself with all kinds of um, conservative lobbyists and um, conservative politicians. And she runs on a very conservative platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really sad. It's uh, She makes the entire situation. And, and I went right from her to dating the man who I ended up marrying. Well, so that, um, you know, like when you, when you say that out loud, doesn't it make a lot of sense because you got so shamed. Yeah. And can I ask you? Did anyone know it was like when she said she was having impure thoughts about a woman? Did they know it was you or did just your friends know? Um, I don't know. Our friends knew and I was already kind of the weirdo on campus anyway because I was a feminist Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a big mouth. (laughs) 
They need to be there, honey. <laughs> so every year in the summer, in the spring, there would be some inevitable article in the paper about how women needed to not wear spaghetti straps because we needed to uh, help our brothers not stumble in their walk with God. And I wrote an op-ed that just said, maybe they shouldn't be looking at um, my boobs and they should watch where they're walking. <laughs> but also too, I mean, so let's just, you know, strip that away. You know, it's the woman's fault, you know, just yeah. yeah, you know, it's all her fault. It's all the women's cool. fault because they can't. Yeah. So. Absolutely. But it's, I was that girl. <laughs> like, like when you graduated and you got married young, did you like, what do you think about that now? I mean, like, that's like, for somebody who didn't come from that background, that was like, just so, you know, so people who aren't churched, you know, there's like the progressive Christians and then there's the middle of the road Christians. And then there's these Christians and you were with the very conservative yeah. Christians. Like you didn't even start in the middle of the road. <laughs> you started mm -hmm. in the very... Did you, did anything like, did you, I mean, during that whole time when you were in college, did you ever say, I should not be here? Because clearly you did not fit in there. I've known you now for about eight months. And like <laughs> the thought of you going to a college like that, I'm like, I go, Carla, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I was lucky because I think everywhere you can find your people. Mm -hmm. And I, kind of found my people and the rest of the people didn't want to deal with me mm -hmm. because I mean, there were people there. It was not uncommon for people to court instead of date. Mm -hmm. So it was that extreme where people weren't. And I don't know if everyone knows what courting is exactly because I didn't, but um, the idea of never having an unchaperoned date until you're married. Right. And there were that, people who and, did that. <laughs> well, and also too, I have friends that went to very um, younger friends because I wasn't involved with this when I was, um, in your age, but uh, we know when in college, um, but like I had younger friends that went to like Union um, Baptist College over, I think it's in Minnesota somewhere. Um, and like everybody got married at like 19 because everybody wanted to have sex. <laughs> and then they all were divorced by senior year. <laughs> you know, a lot of them were, or at least wherever that, I can't remember where it was, but all his friends, my friend, all his friends got married while they were like sophomores, juniors in college, and they were all divorced by senior or right, went right after they, yeah. See, we all waited and you got your MRS degree. Yes. And so you hit senior year and then you got married right after like that summer or fall. And that's what I did. Like, it's just, you got married as soon as you graduated and you married the guy you were dating your junior year. Yeah. Like it was just kind of That's, prescriptive. And the MRS degree, what is that, Carla? In case oh, I know what it is, but what is it? It's the one where you get married, your Mrs. degree. Your Mrs. degree. Yeah. Which is so ironic because you don't think that still exists today, but oh yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. So anyway, then I ended up married and I remember on our, I remember we left the church and I had a panic attack my first panic attack as we were in the car on the way from the church. And I knew everything I had done was wrong and that I needed out, but I didn't know. I figured at that point it was too late. Mm -hmm. So I cried for probably eight weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that night I cried all night in the bathroom to the point where I was vomiting mm -hmm. uh, on my wedding night. I cried all through our honeymoon. We went to the Bahamas. I sobbed the whole time. You were I, I was a hoot. Um, <laughs> I remember 
you know, I remember my ex took me to go see the movie Chicken Run because he was just hoping that I would stop crying at some point. <laughs> um, I just cried and cried. And then I boxed all that emotion up and put it up on my emotional shelf over here and just moved right along and compartmentalized that part of my life. And what do you think that, I mean, I, I have a theory, but what do you think the tears were from? Because I, I, uh, there, I have so many things. I mean, the big one was that I knew I had made such a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I felt so trapped. And it was like when that car door slammed and we left the church, mm-hmm. it was like uh, my world just collapsed. And my it was like my prison door just slammed shut. Mm-hmm. And I just sobbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never cried that hard in my life or that kind of crying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and for that, I do feel really bad for my ex because that's not how he envisioned his... <laughs> His wedding night, you know. Hopefully, the next one will be better. <laughs> well, his yeah, current girlfriend's is. lovely, so I hope so because man. I hope it's a little bit better than that. Does that really suck? <laughs> I remember he watched TV all night in the front room, in the room while I was in the bathroom of the hotel, just sobbing. I wonder um, if there was a piece of you, the the lesbian piece of you, who was like, like, oh my god, like I should as you had said, I shouldn't have done it, but like you were mourning that piece of yourself that you thought you had cut off, which you hadn't, but you thought at that time at 22, yes, you had. Yeah. Yep. I was like, you have now lost yourself. Mm-hmm. You have well, lost so everything conscious for you. Cause it was all, it was, I knew that now I was in this marriage where not only I had to play straight, but he had also been talking about, you know, like the month before our wedding day, he started talking about going back to school to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I just saw, oh my God, heterosexual pastor's wife. That is not what I had in mind for my future. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, not my deal. You weren't, you weren't gonna be baking casseroles and playing the organ? <laughs> no. <laughs> I could see you being the choir director though. I don't know. I'm not that cheery. Um, so anyway, so it was just, I just remember that being the saddest thing. And, and when I found out that you come from a grief counseling uh, background, it made so much sense to me because I went, that's exactly what it was. I had to grieve and I grieved privately on and off for, I was married to him for 17 years. We were together for two years prior to that. So we were together for 19 years. So what happened? Why did you leave? Like, what was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back? The catalyst, if you know. And when Carla and I talk about catalysts, um, some of the women we know have some someone. They meet a woman that um, like op- opens up their identity, um, and they realize that they're gay. But a catalyst also can be a real um, uh, pivotal moment in your life. So. Um, you know, somebody dies, you get sick, you, you know, you get divorced. Sometimes people get divorced first and then, you know, realize they're gay. A bunch of things can be. So what happened to you? Because you were married to him for 17 years. And then you said one day. (laughs) Well, I was, I spent most of it touring and performing because I'm a singer. And so I was on tour uh, for months on end and then I'd come back and Um, so we had a very different relationship anyway. Um, and then when I stopped doing that and had kids, um, I started to think more about 
them and, and think more about what I wanted their lives to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I knew that our marriage was heading to a divorce um, for a variety of reasons. And then, and my friends knew I was bisexual. I had you know, been pretty open about that. Um, and even though I knew that wasn't the case, that just was more palatable than saying I'm a lesbian married to a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I went to go see a, a play because um, we used to go to Broadway uh, two, three times a year, my friend and I, and we'd just see everything that was open. And mm-hmm. we saw the show Falsettos. And one of the main characters in it is, uh, is a gay man and he's married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he talks about how he's just, and he is, he's just a mean, nasty person. Mm-hmm. And there's a line in there where someone says it's, you know, he just, he wasn't himself. He couldn't be himself. And he mm-hmm. was living this lie and it made him this mean, nasty person. Mm-hmm. And I remember I cried so hard, not as hard as my wedding night, but damn close in the theater. Um, and it wasn't a particularly sad show. It was just, you know, I mean, it's not an upper, but it's um, not that. Mm-hmm. And I remember crying and I was there with my my closest friend and and I'm like, that's gonna be me. Mm-hmm. And he was horrible. He was, this character's mean to his son, horribly mean to his son and cold and awful. And I thought that's gonna be me. I'm going to be that man if I continue to live in this marriage. I can't. And I had always said, well, maybe it's just better that I stay in the marriage for the kids, you know, which is such a fallacy, right? Oh, totally. But I I was like, you know, we're not arguing in front of the kids because my ex and I never did argue. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's fine. They don't need to know what's going on. And Mm -hmm. then I went, oh, I'm going to turn into that guy Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be so miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I divorced, I I told my ex that I wanted the divorce. And in part, it's for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for me, but I also wanted them to see because they were so young. I'm sorry, you, go ahead. Can you say more about that? Because a lot of times women stay in marriages because they're doing it for their children. I mean, I'm probably a culprit of that, thinking that if they stay married, they're going to give their kid a better life. What, how did you, what did you think about that? Because you just said that I was, I got divorced for my kids. <laughs> so, you know, what was your thinking? I know your I know your ex struggled with some stuff and everything like that, but like what but what else was your thinking? Um, I went back and forth on it because I knew it would be financially a very devastating thing for uh, we for us to not split income to not have two incomes and one house living in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought, gosh, maybe I should stay. And and then I realized my mom stayed in her marriage to my father they're now divorced but they stayed for the kid Mm -hmm. and i started to think about the example that that set for me as a child and i thought i don't want that because my idea as to what a relationship was supposed to be was so heavily based upon what i saw and we know that conceptually but truly i look at the things my mom taught me Mm -hmm. and whatever she said didn't matter it's what i saw Mm-hmm. And I saw that marriages weren't supposed to be happy. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I was taught. I was taught, and I've told my parents this individually, and you know, it's not like either of them are bad people. It's just that they weren't in love with each other. 
Well, and uh, also they bought into the the notion that we stay together with our spouses at all costs, even exactly. if we're miserable. And, exactly. and, but the thing is, is what we teach our children is that they stay in relationships, even if they're miserable. And we both know that's not a good thing. No. And I saw that a marriage means a man and a woman, and it was a man and a woman. That was what marriage was in my home. Um, you know, that marriage was a man and a woman who have no physical contact whatsoever, including like a kiss on the cheek or holding hands. Um, it meant that one spouse complained about the other all the time. And that's just what marriage was. Mm -hmm. And that's what my marriage became. Mm -hmm. And I thought, no, I want a marriage where someone comes in the door. I want my kids to see my partner come in the door and I drop what I'm doing, run over and give her a kiss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I want my kids to see because that's what I want for them. Right. You know? So in part I divorced because I wanted them to have a, a, an example of mm -hmm. this is what a healthy relationship is. A healthy relationship can be two people that do still have some physical attraction to each other. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. That's what you want, you mm -hmm. know? And I, I kept thinking this isn't what I would want for my kids. Mm -hmm. And if I don't want it for my kids, then why is it good enough for me? And if it's not what I want for my kids, I shouldn't be modeling this behavior. Yes. You know, I need to right. model being okay with who you are. You mm -hmm. know, I tell my kids, you can be any kind of, you can express your gender however you want to, you can be attracted to whomever you want to, but so then I need to do that too. So let me ask, so then what, what I'm hearing is that you didn't leave your marriage because you were gay per se. You left your marriage because you were unhappy and you didn't, and you wanted to model a different behavior for your kids. Oh, and by the way, I'm gay. <laughs> Yes. And I knew that. Yes. <laughs> Surprise. Um, and then I also knew that I would not be able to replicate the kind of relationship I wanted to model with a male. It was going to be with well, a female. You know, and then what's That's really, just what it was going to be. And what's interesting, Carla, is that thank God you were gay. Because if you weren't, you may have stayed there until the kids were 22 or 23 or yeah. something like that, because that's what you modeled. And, you know, a lot of times women say, well, he's a good guy. I shouldn't, I should stay with him because he's this or because he's that. And, um, but, you know, you didn't do that because, you know, you were like, no, this isn't working. But then you finally acknowledged who you were, because I don't think it was a phase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Your mom was wrong. I know your mom, I know your mom modeled a lot of things, but she also said some things, you know, I, I think, gosh, what if she had said to you, oh, that's nice, honey. You date her and see what you think instead of saying, nope, you're not gay. You know what I mean? Like if she had said something different. It would have been, it would have been huge. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I'm so fortunate because my parents didn't say we hate you and kick me out. I get it. I'm so fortunate with that. Um, but it was still harmful to hear, you know, I, I don't know that I would call them microaggressions, but it's almost like that of the, you know, when Ellen came out and it was on People Magazine that just said, I'm gay. I remember my mom shaking her head and going, oh, it's just so embarrassing. I don't know why she has to talk about it. And no one needs to know what she's doing. Well, well, because that's, you know, first of all, yes, they were microaggressions. Maybe they might've even been a little bit macroaggressions. <laughs> 
but also too, it's like people reduce our relationships as lesbians to our the, to the physical part of it, which is a very, as we both know, is a very, I mean, important part, but it's not the only part. So like straight people always redu reduce, um, you know, same sex attraction or lesbian attractions to the sexual act. And it is, it is so much more than that. It's about a way of existing in a world which you existed in that world when you were a little girl before sex was even on the table for you. You know, when you were eight years old, you were like, hey, I think I'm, yeah, so I don't, like I have no interest in boys and like, you know, playing gate, being a gamer and not playing, you know, having no interest in what your peers were doing because you didn't want to, you weren't in, interested in boys. You just weren't. Mm -hmm. No, though it is funny because I joined Brownies, that junior version of uh, Girl Scouts, mm -hmm. um, the year that you transitioned from Brownies to Girl Scouts, mm -hmm. because they had a really cool rainbow patch that you got when you moved up from being a Brownie to a Girl Scout. And I wanted that rainbow and I wanted to go to Girl Scout camp. <laughs> I look back, I was like, wow, lesbian, good, good job. You know, I used to work for Girl Scouts. Do you <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, I worked for them for about four or five years. Yeah. Great organization. I love the Girl Scouts. I think they're a great organization. They're so evolved and they, you know, they've been doing things ahead of the, I mean, with, with trans youth and everything like that, they're a pretty cool organization. So I really like the Girl Scouts, but yeah, I worked for Girl Scouts too. I did adult development and training. Love it. And, so, yeah, you know. Well, I did get <laughs> my <laughs> rainbow match. <laughs> Was the rainbow big thing? Yeah, I guess when you were growing up, the rainbow had already made prominence, but not really because it was no. like 87. So it's interesting how you were so, because I think the rainbow flag came about like in 80, maybe a little earlier than that. I don't know. But it's so funny that you were drawn to it so much, right? I do. It's just, it makes me laugh. I'm like, well, that should have told people things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny. I was listening to you talk about crying at that, that um, Broadway show you saw. And today we were driving home and Mary Lambert's song, She Keeps Me Warm, which they sampled at the end of the Macklemore song that he did about um, same, love, same Love, I think it was. <laughs> Clue that you might be gay when you cry at the end of Same Love <laughs> every time you hear, I can't change even if I tried. Yet when you cry yes. at the end of that all the time, that's yes, that was me that was totally me because that song came out and macklemore is from seattle and right. i remember driving my daughter to preschool interestingly in the same neighborhood that macklemore lives in or used to and crying when yeah. that song came on yeah. because because i was thinking i mean it was all about I was thinking about it the fact church that stuff and, you know, yeah, yeah. It was all church stuff and oh. all that stuff. Yeah. And I just remember crying, listening to it, transporting my child to and from preschool and being like, God, what has my life become? <laughs> so you got divorced. Got divorced. Um, how is it now? I mean, I know you've dated a little bit here and there and stuff like that. You've had a significant relationship. How is all that stuff? Like, you know, I really, you know you know, when we talk in our community, we talk people about being in the beginning and then the messy middle and then being on the other side. And I really do consider you on the other side, Carla. So like, you're very comfortable with your sexuality and who you are as a person and everything. You're super comfortable with that. So like, what's different now for you? Um, 
you know, it's, it's, I'm so fortunate that I live in a liberal major city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's not, I mean, obviously not everyone here is, you know, liberal and, and open and affirming and, and everything, but, um, I'm very fortunate for that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so for me, so much of it has been just positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go out and, and I used to say to my friends, um, cause I have two close friends in particular who have been with me forever. Um, mm-hmm. through all of this. And I said, I just feel like I can breathe now. I feel like such a huge weight has been taken off of my shoulders. Um, and I feel, I, you say this, Anne-Marie, you've said before about feeling seen, mm-hmm. you know, I, people would talk before about the queer community and about queer rights. And when I was married to my ex, I just, I felt I didn't have a right to say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just because I wasn't out, but because in my mind, I wasn't a strong enough person to be a part of my community. Therefore, I didn't have the right. Mm-hmm. And so I would, you know, I would never speak up. Mm-hmm. I was always very, you know, I always donated to, you know, the HRC and things like that. But I never, I didn't feel I could be vocal because I didn't have that right. I had lost the right by being in a straight relationship. That was kind of the head game I played with myself. Mm-hmm. And but by leaving, I feel like I can say whatever I want to, mm-hmm. um, and I and I feel seen, and I feel like I can breathe, and mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have to. I didn't realize how much I was constantly living under this idea of how can I pass, you know, how can I pass this straight? Okay, make sure you don't wear a watch that's too big, like too big of a face on it because someone might think that you're a lesbian, you know? And I remember my mom saying that all the time, don't wear your hair in a ponytail, you look like a lesbian, you know? So now I can wear my hair in a ponytail. That's so, you know, and it's so funny because it's like so ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous. You know, know, it's funny because a lot of times people in the later in life community often are really good allies before they come out. And, and what I talk about a lot is internalized homophobia, you know, which is means, even though like people, gay people really hate that word a lot of times, but the thing is, it's really about like, um, knowing you're gay or thinking you might be gay and being very uncomfortable with it and unable to like come out or be authentic. And, and so I like, I hear like the internalized. So I always say, you know, it, like we don't care if anybody's gay. The only person that can't be gay is 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 me, you know. And yeah. it's really really true. And I hear that in your story a lot, you know, that you had to really battle internalized homophobia. Like it's so hard to be like trying to pass as a straight girl, and then wanting to be seen by your people. Oh. Like, how exhausting is that? It was so exhausting. And I remember going to um, the the gayborhood in Seattle is um, Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And I remember going up to Capitol Hill and just walking up and down Broadway, which is the main street. Mm-hmm. And I would just walk up and down and I'd be by myself and I wouldn't, uh, sometimes I would go into stores or whatever, but I would just walk up and down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would go in the lesbian bar and the wild rose and I would go just sit in the back with a beer by mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I would bring a book just so I could be around 
your people, my people, you know? Uh, but then I still was very much making sure, you know, don't sit, you know, you have to cross your legs when you sit, you have to do this. People might think you're a lesbian. Don't take up too much space. I and you were, you were in the lesbian bar. <laughs> I know, right? Isn't that the weirdest thing? And I still was like, I would sit up very straight and, you know, it's always very gentle gestures and at a, at a no, minimum, I your ankles were crossed. But you know, like now having been a you like you you know how that ridiculous that sounds right oh absolutely i think it's like sad and hilarious at the same time that's but that's how scared i was that was someone that might find out my secret so your message was that from your mom or from the school or the college that you went um, to? i think it was my mom my mom really wanted me to f not be a lesbian yeah you know it was i was a kid um during the aids crisis and she just kind of equated that as the entire queer community and it being dangerous to the LGBTQ. Like it was just dangerous. Hence, you should do it. Hence the lesbians were the safest people on the earth during the AIDS crisis. <laughs> pretty much. Right. You know? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but pretty much. <laughs> they were. They really were because they were had like the least infection rate from from HIV. So, yeah. you know, it was yeah. So you're, yeah. So your mom, it sounds like your mom had a lot of stereotypes and preconceived notions that really prevented you and, and like how she, you know, cross your legs, do this, do that. And it's like, you receive those messages over and over and over again. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then you end up in this homophobic college. Oh yeah. And it, absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting because I try so hard to make sure I don't send those messages to my kids because when I left, when my, when my ex and I split, was five years ago my daughter was four and a half and my son was six mm -hmm. yeah he was six um and even then they've always kind of been you know they're they're, they're just not the stereotype of the very masculine boy and the very feminine little girl that's just not who they are you know he wears nail polish and he used to have hair longer than this for like years mm -hmm. um he only cut it maybe eight months ago mm -hmm. um she i think if i chased her down the street with a dress she would you know punch me in the face um she just, <laughs> but you just, would do that you know, i would never do that but it's just interesting because i would never do that to my children and i try so hard to go you know, everybody has access to the makeup. We have a kid's makeup box. You know, it's very much not like, oh, this is my daughter's makeup. It's, mm -hmm. it's the children's makeup box. Let <laughs> me ask you a quick question. So your kids were pretty little when you come out. Did, how, did you come out to them? And if you did, how did you do it? People are always very, very worried about coming out to the children. And I always say that if your kids are younger than 11, don't worry about it. It's just becomes super normal, super fast. I've had a, I have very, I have very astute children. Um, and, and we've actually talked looking back recently, we've talked about, did I do it the right way? Like, what could I have done better with that? And I thought it was very interesting because what I decided is I wanted to kind of break it to them, you know, like we're divorcing and let them deal with that mm -hmm. and then let them manage the fact that I was a lesbian. Um, and so what we did is, you know, I, we were, I moved out in May. Um, and then that August, 
uh, my ex had been pressuring me to come out to the kids and he was going to tell them if I didn't was what Which he told me. very wrong. Was, and I was like, you can't, like, that's not your story. It is you not your story. Yeah. That yeah. That's not um, no, it was really upsetting. And so I figured, all right, well, I have to do it. And I remember I sat the kids down, we were eating dinner. It was the three of us and we're having grilled cheese and tomato soup. Um, Cause all of us wear bibs for that. We all, I, even me, I wear an enormous bib to make sure I don't spill on myself. And so I just said, Hey, you know how, um, you know, this friend of ours, he only dates boys and, you know, then there's this person we know that dates women and, um, and you know, you know about gay and lesbian. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, because they knew, you know, I was always very open. And I said, well, you know, if I date someone now that I'm not with your dad anymore, um, it's going to be a woman because I'm a lesbian. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And uh <laughs> said, Does that bother you? And they my son looked and he said, so does that mean you're going to get back to, that means you're not getting back together with daddy. Right. And I said, no, I'm not going to, cause I only will date women. And he goes, yeah. And with that goatee, daddy would look really weird as a woman. <laughs> and then he just kept eating his soup. <laughs> I almost died. And then my daughter looked, she said, I have a question. I said, okay. She said, since you're a lesbian, do I have to finish? my soup or can I just have ice cream now? <laughs> and it was beautiful. I was like, you can just, we can just skip straight from the soup to the ice cream. Like, well, you know, that's cool. funny because like that goes to what I'm saying. Little kids do not care. No, it, is a, not care. it is a non-event for them. They're like, okay, whatever it. And you know what I always tell, I mean, I do tell people that when their kids are between the 11 and 30, sometimes they have a harder time, but um, little kids don't care. It becomes their normal very, very quickly. And you're, you did it perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And your kids reacted pretty typically. Yeah, can I have dessert now? It was so funny. And, and my son did say though, um, cause I had a friend ask, you know, she was coming out to her kids and she asked, you know, what did, you know, how did you do it? Did it work? So I asked my son, I said, Hey, you know, did that work for you? And he said, well, he said he wished I would have told him from the beginning. And mm -hmm. he said, that's the only mistake that he thinks that I made was that he spent from June until August thinking maybe mom and dad could get back together. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I said, mommy's a lesbian, he said it just made it so much easier because he could just slam that door shut and be like, oh, okay, never mind. So I'm going to argue with Evan, right? Is your son? Is that? Yes. I'm going to argue with him. <laughs> and say that I think you made a really good choice separating it from your divorce and and because it has nothing it had nothing to do with your divorce right. and so I think for your children and for your situation I always think people should separate it for them their divorce and not tie it with their divorce I did that and I think that was a big mistake and so I always encourage people if they can to like do the divorce stuff separately from the coming out stuff. Because what ends up happening is that if you are the partner that is coming out, whether you're male or female, sometimes you get blamed for the breakup of the marriage. And as all of us know, marriages are very complicated. And a lot of times being gay is what gets you out of the marriage. The marriage already often had problems that had nothing to do with your sexuality. So 100%. And so that's I why I did it the way I did. Well, I think you did it perfect. <laughs> I think you absolutely did it perfect. <laughs> so.
that. Yeah. And he said he, that it was totally fine that I just brought it up in casual conversation. Well, yeah. And that's, well, you know, it's so funny because, um, I had, I had somebody new I'm working with and I said, have you told your kids? And she goes, well, no, not really. You know, I did tell them that if I ever dated anybody again, it would be a woman. I said, you told your kids. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. And I said, and their kids are little, they're like nine and seven. They were like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know what? Most children, unless they go to a very conservative church or, or they have parents that have, that are homophobic there, they don't have that. They just don't have the homophobia, little ones. They just don't. And most of them, you know, most of our kids, although we may not be out, have already been raised by a lesbian mom. And so they have a lot, they've been raised to be accepting, you know, and so typically little, little ones especially have, have do a really good job of like going, okay, can I have ice cream? I know it was great. It was like, she was angling to get out of the one healthy part of the meal and go straight to the ice cream. Because you're a lesbian. Because I'm a lesbian, you know, because that's what we do. We grilled cheese and ice cream. So Carla, I have a couple of questions to end with up today. So um, did you have a coming out song since you are a singer? I'm sure you did. Oh my God. So many, um, so many. Uh, there's a song actually from an opera, Rusalka, called Song to the Moon. And it's not about, how, it's just talking about, you know, the beauty of the moon and such, but something about the line of it. Um, when I would sing it in particular, it just felt like my soul was letting go. And I would sing that when I would think about coming out and and when I think it's, well, it's in, uh, uh, not Russian. It's in, uh, I can't remember that. It's not Russian. Anyway, it's in an Eastern European language. And, um, it's just the way it's the flow of the line of music, Mm -hmm. um, the notes themselves. And, so Rusalka's song to the moon, that's one. Uh, but then also that um, uh, same love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that would be the one that I kind of sang as I was getting ready to, mm-hmm. you know, when I was preparing for the divorce and stuff. Um, I love the line from it. Um, you know, she keeps me warm at the end. And that's the Mary Lamb part where, where she, you know, yep. she feels like safety and home. And that was that is what I love about that song. And I like same love. It's a nice little, little song, but I really like the Mary Lamb part, part at the end. Yes. You know, my apologies to Macklemore for calling his song a little song. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so a movie or a book that you read that changed your perspective on things. Um, you know, I had to look it up because it's such a random book. Um, there's a book called Moving Parts. Mm-hmm. that is a um like a lesbian fiction it's there's nothing monumental about it it's just a good book mm-hmm. i remember i read that um towards the beginning of my marriage and it was just treating the lesbian character as a normal person mm-hmm. and not as the lesbian character in the book it wasn't this is my lesbian romance that i've written or this is the lesbian best friend she was just a person who worked at a bicycle repair shop that also was a lesbian yeah 
Um, and I, and that was just so striking to me. And then I reread it about a year ago and, and it was interesting because I couldn't figure out what it was about that book that was pivotal. And, and I took the book when I read it the first time and I ended up um, throwing it away because it was so upsetting to me mm -hmm. and it made me so angry that book and then rereading it. It's because I could see, I'm sure what it was is I could see that my life could have been normal as a lesbian. You know, when I read it the first time, it was, wow, I could just have a normal life as a lesbian. Mm -hmm. This woman is. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I threw it away and then I reread it and I went, well, this is a good book. I mean, it's just a good little fiction work, but it shows her as normal yeah. because we are normal. Yes. Yeah. And boring. <laughs> really boring. <laughs> really boring. <laughs> so what's the best thing about your life now? Um, I don't have to, I mean, I kind of, I, we joked a, a lot about, you know, my having to, you know, make sure that I was feminine enough. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that was such a big thing in my home growing up was, are you feminine enough? Mm -hmm. And I don't have to think about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I will catch myself man spreading, which I often do. Um, my girlfriend thinks it's funny because I most frequently will sit in that position when I'm wearing high heels and jeans. <laughs> and she's like, who man spreads in high heels? That's the weirdest combination. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Me, but I almost always wear heels. So when else would I do it? But um, I don't have to worry and I catch myself and I'm just, even now I'm just sitting like a normal human being and I'm not worried about do I, am I feminine enough? And it's so nice well, to not have that weird headspace that I had been put into. Well, and I think it's really interesting is that what I've heard from you is like you, for the first half of your life, filled roles that you were assigned because you were like, I was like, I gotta look straight. Do I look straight enough? Do I look straight enough? And now it's the reverse, but now you don't care. Like you do, like when you were younger, you were like, oh, I can't look like a lesbian. I can't look like a lesbian. Even when you were the single mommy going to the lesbian bar, you're like, which I think is hysterical. And you're saying, I feel <laughs> oh, Thanks mom. Thanks. Mom. And what's funny is now I've, I've, I was just talking to a friend about this for a different reason. I would wear a lot of makeup for performing, but in my day-to-day -day life, I did not wear a lot of makeup. I didn't do much with my hair. And in part, I didn't want anyone to see me as sexy. I wore baggy sweatshirts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then since coming out, I'm like, all right, well, it's gonna take me at least an hour to get ready. Cause I gotta <laughs> curl the hair. I gotta put on all the paint, <laughs> you know, I gotta go full face. Where's the shirt with the cleavage? I mean, it's like this constant, it's a completely different space, but it's fun. I'm not doing it to fulfill a role. I'm doing it because I feel like I can just be who I am mm -hmm. and enjoy that. Whereas before I was trying to be someone. Which is a femme lesbian. Yeah, guilty as yeah. charged. Who man spreads. <laughs> if Lady Gaga can do it in her white pantsuit, why can't I? You can. Carla, it was so much fun talking to you today. It's been wonderful to meet you and get to know you. I've really, really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm really happy to have a mom who had some young kids on, uh, who had young kids 
when she came out and, and telling that part of your story. I really appreciated it. And really what I appreciated it is that what, which I never realized before is that you left your marriage because you didn't want to give your kids that example of hanging in there no matter what. And I think that's what should be the conversation in this country or in the world instead of like, oh, you, you, you sacrifice your life for your kids, which not a good thing. I think no. you did some wonderful things with your kids and you're teaching them. You taught them some really great, great lessons when they're really young. So, which is nice. Well, hopefully it'll stick. You never know. I mean, they have a long way to growing up. They're still young. So we'll see what right. happens. <laughs> well, but the thing is, is that you've given them that example and then it's their life and you know, their therapy bills. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did your best. You really did. I try, you know, and the kids say that they see, I would say that about anybody's children, just Carla's children about <laughs> therapy bills, because we all, we all, you know, fuck up our kids at some level. Don't we? I mean, that's the hilarious part is I didn't even bat an eye because I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. They are going to, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's nice because both of my kids now have said that they appreciate the divorce and that they can see dad is happy now and mom is happy now. Mm -hmm. And so for both of them, they, and they would not lie to me. They are very, they're too very little too. They're, they're not, you know, they're too little to be guile, to have guile. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and give them a couple of years, then they'll have guile, but right now <laughs> they're too little. Right. But they both appreciate we didn't stay together. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're much happier without each other. You know, I mean, you know, you're still co-parents, but you're much happier without each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carla. It was wonderful spending New Year's Day with you. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> Happy 2021. Has to be better. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. Bye. Bye.